0: All right, welcome to another episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. Uh, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, today we are covering policy, uh, but not the boring type. Uh, the type that talks about those who enact it, which are the teachers. Uh, this paper won the PESP best paper for 2017. Uh, essentially, this paper explains why enacting policy doesn't always work as the writers intended to. All right, so we're here with Dr. Laura Alfrey from Monash or Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, um, and I'll let Dr. Alfrey correct me on those two pronunciations. Uh, and we're here to discuss her article titled "Teachers as Policy Actors: Co-creating and Enacting Critical Inquiry in Secondary Health and Physical Education." Uh, it was published in 2017 in Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy. Uh, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for taking the time to chat about your paper.
1: Thanks Risto, you, uh, you got it right the first time, Monash, after Sir John Monash, um, yeah thanks so much for asking me to be part of the podcast, um, it's always nice to know that people other than my mum read my papers, um, I can't take full credit for the paper of course, we are, um, the paper we're discussing today was co-authored with uh, colleagues Justin O'Connor and Ruth Jeans, And as with most academic work, the ideas within it were generated uh, with discussions and chats and uh, with teachers and colleagues that uh, we're really lucky to be able to have the opportunity to work with.
0: This paper revolves around uh, critical inquiry, uh, and that is one of the five key interrelated ideas that informs the curriculum planning in the Australian curriculum. So I was hoping that maybe we can start off with an explanation of these um, ideas.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, We're really lucky in Australia to have the curriculum we do Um, and the writers led by Dune MacDonald from the University of Queensland, they did something a bit exciting and I know exciting is a relative concept but they included in the curriculum these five propositions or key ideas as they're sometimes called uh, with the intention of informing pedagogy in health and physical education and this has not been done before um, and it has the potential to be really powerful. Um, There's a lot I could say about the Australian curriculum Um, and its state and territory derivatives. But in the interest of keeping things brief, um, I'll stick to these five propositions. So the first of the five is focus on educative purposes. Second, take a strengths-based approach. Third, value movement. Four, develop health literacy. And finally, uh, the fifth one is include a critical inquiry approach. And this is the one, um, whilst all the propositions informed the co-creation of the unit of work that we'll share today um, and that was shared in the paper, uh, we chose to focus on critical inquiry because it was consistently the proposition that teachers felt was most distant from their current practice. Um, And we hoped that in doing this work uh, and sharing this work, hopefully, that we could try and help close that gap for them. Um, As the Australian Curriculum for HP Espouses, um, it expects us to engage students in critical inquiry um, with the view that it will assist them in researching, analysing, applying and appraising knowledge around the health and movement contexts and fields. Um, In doing so, the intention is that students will critically analyse, evaluate, contextual factors things that are stopping them and helping them uh, make decisions, uh, act, uh, behave in particular ways, especially, of course, in relation to health and physical activity. Um, It's also expected in terms of the critical inquiry uh, proposition that when we're exploring these uh, barriers and affordances, that uh, students are also given the opportunity to, to explore notions such as inclusion, power inequality, assumptions, diversity and social justice. Um, so yeah, if you want to know more about the five propositions, uh, then we've got the mini-cast um, and also have a look at the Australian Curriculum website um, or Faculty of Education um, on uh, Facebook for Monash University and there's some videos there.
0: Awesome. So the other um, main thing that comes across right in the beginning of this article is the take action unit of work. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, um, So Take Action is a unit of work with uh, critical inquiry at its centre. It was co-constructed by uh, researchers, three of us Ruth, Justin and myself, um, as well as a cluster of teachers. Um, So we actually developed the unit with six teachers, um, but only three of which went on to enact in the first instance. And it's those three teachers we uh, focus on in this paper. Um, So in the unit, students led an inquiry into the possibilities of physical activity within their own social ecologies, So their school, their home, their community, their region. Um, And they were given an opportunity to learn through, for example, critical inquiry, reflection, collaboration, um, action with the view of impacting positively their own and others physically active lives. So they worked in uh, initially individually. And then collaboratively to share ideas um, and then they formed groups around intended foci um, and by that I mean um, they identified something that they would like to focus on learn more about in terms of how it was either supporting or limiting their physical activity behaviors um, so some of the some of the um, ideas that popped up for example were some kids wanted greater access to the school gym at lunchtime which was locked. Um, some uh, felt that, uh, and, and mainly girls, felt that the oval and the, what were meant to be shared spaces were being overrun by the boys and they wanted more access to those spaces. Um, some wanted a, a lunchtime running club. So there was all these ways in which um, the students wanted to overcome uh, particular barriers or strengthen existing uh, opportunities that would allow them to be more physically active. And I guess what was driving this is the kids of today are the teachers and the politicians of tomorrow. And we wanted to give an opportunity for student voices to be heard, encourage them to develop knowledge, skills, and understanding that they need to utilise and exert their agency and and inquire critically and facilitate positive change through collaboration and engaging with community stakeholders. Um, So part of this project was... um, the students and uh, the, the teachers and I guess the school more broadly were encouraged to um, develop and maintain community partnerships, and we'll talk uh, a bit more about that later. Um, But essentially, um, once the the students had um, identified an issue, worked and worked around ideas about how to respond to it and overcome it, um, the intention was that they would present their ideas to community stakeholders that would help them enact change. Um, So the focus was not on increasing physical activity per se. It may sound like that, but rather um, what we were trying to do, as I alluded earlier, is Give the students an opportunity to learn that they have agency and how they can use that in in useful, positive, and powerful ways. Um, that's not to so that physical activity didn't increase; uh, it did as a result of some of the um, um, initiatives they they pushed for and and started. But that was not something we measured. But if you want more detail on uh, on the unit of work, uh, there's a few papers from uh, 2012 and 2014. Um, that will be on my research output page, um, so you can have a look there.
0: Awesome. So, how are teachers using critical inquiry now? Um, so, what do we what do we know about that? Has that been implemented largely, or?
1: Good question. Um, as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been any large scale research that explores the nature and extent of critical inquiry approaches, at least in Australia. Um, What we do know is that the curriculum is asking us to include critical inquiry approaches in our teaching and the findings from our research um, suggest that teaching or trying to teach in ways that do not align with the status quo, um, which is essentially most of the five propositions, it can be a really alienating and challenging experience for teachers and, and as well as teacher educators in some cases. Um, But hopefully what our paper does is offer some suggestions as to how we can support teachers in this phase of mobilization, experimentation, um, and and trying to use these propositions or alternative approaches um, to teaching health and phys ed generally.
0: Um, So can you explain a bit about uh, where this research took place and who the participants were?
1: Yeah, um, the research was conducted in two high schools located in communities of relatively low socioeconomic status um, in southern metropolitan Melbourne, uh, which is in Victoria, Australia. Uh, We had um, three participants that we reported on. We called them Jess, Josh and Simone. Um, and they were all uh, relatively early career in the first four years of teaching. So this was a really big undertaking for them. Um, but it was self-selected and they volunteered with gusto. And uh, just one more thing to say on the participants. Uh, Josh and Simone, they taught exclusively health and phys ed, uh, while uh, Jess also had some experience in teaching other curricular areas um, at the time, mainly history.
0: Okay. And so this was a participatory action research project, so you work with the teachers to co-create change in response to calls from academia, essentially, and policymakers who are asking for critical inquiry uh, to be systematically used in HPE. Uh, can you explain that process?
1: Sure. I'll, um, I'll just take a step back first, um, to, to, I guess, to provide some context as to why we went with participatory um, action research. So we drew upon the work of Brighting um, 2008 and the intention was to provide a context in which teachers could develop a sense of mental ownership. So that's the concept we drew from Brighting. Um, we wanted them to have ownership over the take action unit of work. And Brighting uh, suggests uh, or conceptualizes a, a, like a, a continuum of mental ownership um, and suggests that the more involvement or effort to achieve a certain outcome, in our case, the enactment of take action and critical inquiry, more generally, uh, the higher level of mental ownership possible for those involved. So um, as as conceptualised by writing, it's important um, and expected that the greater the mental ownership, the greater engagement and motivation to create the change. So um, our view was if we include the teachers in these early stages, there's a greater chance that they're going to be motivated um, and engaged. That was essentially the, the foundation. Um, uh, we felt that participatory, participatory action research um, would, would, uh, fitted well with this approach um, and would help help the teachers develop this mental ownership that we were on some grand quest for. Um, essentially, participatory action research seeks to shift the power within the research process towards those who are most affected by it, which, um, of course, were the teachers, and to a lesser degree the students. And the intention is that the participant is an equal partner in this research. So we did a few things that we hopefully um, hopefully tried to achieve this equality. Um, they included, uh, as I said before, the teachers were self-selected. Um, in the process um, with no coercion. Uh, we worked together over a six month period to co-create the unit of work together. So we did, the researchers did share ideas um, and we had the luxury of time in that we had engaged with the new curriculum already. Uh, this is something that the teachers hadn't had a chance to do. Um, so uh, I'd be lying if I said all the teachers, uh, sorry, all the ideas, came directly from the teachers, but we, we discussed and we created ideas together. Um, we discussed, constructed and agreed on all aims, intended learning outcomes, educative purpose, curriculum mapping, learning activity development. It was all a constant process of collaboration and co-construction. Um, what else did we do? We uh, So we democratically decided on the logistics, um, right down to, you know, the length of the lesson, the number of lessons. Um, the, the meetings we had um, over the six month period were just a constant cycle of sharing and refining ideas and when it came to the the planning of the lessons themselves and um, we all we all planned so there was uh, yeah six or seven of us in the room and we all planned one or two lessons each and then we'd swap them critique them suggest ideas for improvement and um, yeah it was a really really enjoyable experience quite a rare one
0: a lot of your data consisted of You know, you had a ton of stuff. So field notes, classroom observations, uh, interviews with the teachers before and after the Take Action program Um, and the teachers enacted this program over a two year period. Um, So the findings that you present were really interesting and kind of show the various ways in which the teachers started to engage in that unit of work. Um, Can you give us a summary of the findings and then maybe we can dive into more detail?
1: Yeah. Um, just as a point of clarification, Mr. Um, so all teachers didn't enact the unit over two years, but that was kind of the period that we researched across all the teachers. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so findings. Um, they revealed that the unit of work, so take action, it was challenging, which was not unexpected. Um, it challenged the teachers in a in a range of ways. I think the main ways were it it really pushed them to question their role in the learning process, and that shift from teacher-centred to student-centred was uh, challenging um, for some. Um, it challenged their views on the nature of PE. So we had this shift from you know physically active all the time to okay, we're going to talk more and think more, and that that was that was a challenge. Um, and for Jess and Simone in particular, um, it prompted them to question their narrow and performative pedagogical repertoire. And that was not indicative of uh, them as teachers. That was That's a, a consequence of their biography and the ways in which they were taught at school and um, the kind of pedagogies they were exposed to in their initial teacher education, as well as in their current teaching context so um the findings support the work of uh stephen ball now we drew upon uh stephen ball and meg mcguire's work amongst others in the paper and what they um what they suggested is that policy creates a particular context um, but it's the ideologies and the histories that permeate teachers philosophies um, they don't use the word philosophies, but i do <laughs> and um school context so it's these ideologies and histories that And this links to what I was just saying previously about Simone and Jess. Um, It's ultimately those that will dictate the policy process. And it's really important that we don't underestimate the power of those. So whilst our paper is largely, I guess, an unsuccess story, uh, we did learn a lot. Um, and that's when we work with teachers that's what we ask them to do you know win or lose we learn um, and we did learn that whilst teachers remain protagonists in this process of curriculum renewal um, structural support for teachers and learners is imperative um, if alternative approaches um, such as the five propositions or you know critical inquiry or take action um, are to be fruitful and sustainable
0: right and I think having that unsuccess story is still really important to share um, and learning how, and you kind of talked about this earlier, that it's a little bit messy uh, sometimes. So um, why don't we get a bit of background on each of the three teachers first. Um, Can you give a brief description of Jess, Josh and Simone for us?
1: Sure. Um, Jess, was, she was a powerhouse. Amazing. She'd been teaching for four years. She was passionate, open-minded. She was just excited about life, but teaching especially. And she was she was really keen to try something new. Um, she's the only teacher, as I suggested earlier, that had taught outside of health and physical education. And I think this was really useful for her. She felt that um, the way that she taught in health and phys ed in the past had contradicted the kind of... Uh, progressive and student-centred pedagogies that she was seeing in other curriculum areas. So um, she shared this great quote that was something along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm teaching in history and I'm putting students in the driving seat and then I come into PE and, and I do the reverse. And for me, that, that quote was gold and very telling uh, and representative. So that was Jess. Um, Josh was at the same school as Jess. Um, he'd also been teaching for four years, they'd gone to uni together, so they had a, a close friendship um, and, and therefore a support network. Um, he was a successful athlete and he really valued traditional physical education with a, uh, a focus on sport and fitness performance. So you'll notice I'm taught, saying physical education here, this is the language they used and in this school they had a very clear um, distinction between health education and physical education. Um, So Josh was willing to have a go at mobilising Take Action. As I said, it was voluntary. He put his hand up. But this willingness, it was definitely tempered by a desire to preserve traditional PE as he had always known it. So despite acknowledging that Take Action could promote learning and physical activity opportunities in the longer term, um, he continued to lament this loss of sport time, and he'd often, uh, as we saw in the observations, he'd often apologise to the students who were saying, "Why, you know, why can't, why are we running around? Why can't we play sport?" So, and I think in apologising so much, it kind of underestimated the program, underestimated take action um, and critical inquiry uh, more generally. Um, Simone she was only in her second year of teaching she was at a different school to the other two Um, she was mega ambitious and you know she started teaching because she wanted to make a difference and create change and that was really clear um, when we spoke to her but unsurprisingly as you know first few years of teaching you're surviving you're complying and um, so she was really enthused and she was emotionally attached to this idea of take action she saw the capacity for change and, and I think that's what attracted her in the first place. Um, it seemed to yeah, represent a means of reconnecting with her hopes of this making a difference. Um, that said, uh, Simone was really quick to air concerns regarding uh, her students and how well they cope with the, the flexibility and the un- unknown of take action. Because you, you, you never know the end point with a unit that uses critical inquiry and you need to be okay with that. So there was two things there. There was uh, one I guess uh, an underestimation of what uh, students could do um, and also um, very unsure around uh, decentering herself. Um, And again, this was not a a reflection of her as a person or even her as a teacher. It was a consequence of the fact that she hadn't been exposed to any kind of alternative pedagogy, student centred, critical inquiry, throughout any of her learning or teaching.
0: Right. And I, it's interesting, when, when I was reading this paper and I was reading those, the, the three teachers, I could imagine a world apart, similar personalities, similar buy-in with other teachers that I've worked with, and I think a lot of researchers out there can, can uh, you know, find in their years of research a Josh and a Jess and a Simone. Um, so I think it's a very, almost a representative example. Um, so can you describe uh, briefly the enactment stage of the Take Action Unit of Work?
1: Sure. So this is listed in the paper, but I'll do my best to say it uh, clearly and concisely. So they were it was agreed that there was going to be 12 classes in this unit of work. And the first um, four lessons were around what does movement mean to you? What is movement? Um, where do you move? So um, at the beginning, we, there was an attempt to personalise the learning and students were asked to reflect on positive movement experiences, um, which hooks into this strengths-based approach, and produce um, a personal physical activity narrative. <clears throat> um, they then undertook a period of um, facilitated reflection, shall we say, on their own physical activity, uh, including thoughts about what they enjoyed, what they'd like to do more of, what barriers and affordance existed across the layers of their ecologies. And then we got into chats about what is movement and kind of blow the doors on this notion of sport. Okay, movement is sport. And we we, we talked about organized and incidental movement, housework, active transport, so rhythmic and expressive, all these different kind of movements. Um, And then we asked them via a map to identify a map of the school where they move, where they move, where they're sedentary, where they feel safe, where they feel scared, where they like, Spent spend time and relax where they don't like. And then we repeated that the following week with a map of their community. Um, so the maps included both their home and their school, and they mapped the spaces between and around. And that was... Um, that made it quite real for them and then it provided a a nice foundation for moving forward to the next stage which was um, lesson five and planning for action which was essentially what do you want to change what what positive change do you want to enact here and um, they worked collaboratively to share ideas and kind of brainstorm before joining the groups that I mentioned earlier Um, and the groups were were um, molded around this this intended foci that what they were going to change Um, At this time, students were challenged to articulate how their own movement opportunities were constrained or enabled as a result of um, the multiple layers of their ecology, personal, social, environmental, and also consider how they might begin to address some of the things they were finding through critical inquiry. Um, So, we tried to provide opportunities for the students to utilize their strengths their resources their skills um, to positively impact their own and others physical activity, uh, physically active lives so from there it was important at this stage then to engage with the stakeholders so students contacted stakeholders um, and invited them to a stakeholder presentation that they would pres- uh, hold at the end of the unit um, so stakeholders in this instance included the principal, um, representatives from local sporting clubs and organisations, um, youth groups. And it was really just <clears> to <throat> cast the net wide and see what rolls in. Um, once they um, contacted the stakeholders, um, they then moved into the research planning stage. What questions will they ask and how? What data do they need to tell their story and evidence their points when presenting to the stakeholders? Um, And then they got to work with the research. Uh, They were developing questionnaires, interview schedules, talking to other kids, principals, parents. um, And again, trying to create their story um, and and enact this critical inquiry. Once they collected their data, they analysed it obviously we have to teach them how to analyze the data and that required teaching the teachers how to analyze the data uh, see patterns and create a case for change um and then it was through to preparing for the stakeholder presentation and then and then doing it so it was a lot to pack into 12 weeks um and it, it was definitely a challenge for um for the teachers and and i'll explain a bit more why um later but um as you said uh, field notes were taken from the point at which the teachers agreed to participate and then they were taken um all through the research at varying points of interest um the majority of the lessons were observed by a member of the research team i think all bar all bar two um and then on request we team taught in some of the early classes um and around particularly around the research classes that the teachers sometimes felt a bit uncomfortable with um but we were really mindful of we had sustainability at the forefront of our mind here and we were trying to balance supporting the teachers with trying to um, plan for some kind of sustainability of the of the unit but um
0: right yeah and i and i think that you know that's a lot in 12 you know, 12 sessions, did you say, or 12, yeah. 12 weeks?
1: Yeah. 12, no, 12 sessions.
0: Yeah. So, so I mean, I can, I can long. understand how, you know, if you would put a brand new teacher out and saying you're going to cover all of this stuff, it it can be overwhelming. So some of the, you put in some structural support too, that you commented on. And so when we look at the enactment of the take action um, it allowed for several opportunities for the three teachers, Jess, Josh, and Simone, to really start to experiment with alternative approaches to teaching and learning. Uh, but you found that there needed to be some structural support for both the teachers and learners uh, if their approaches were to be fruitful and later on, obviously, sustainable. So can you describe a bit about the structural support for the teachers first?
1: Yeah. um, So through the inaction phase of Take Action, uh, the three three teachers each perceived varying levels of structural support, which was interesting given that two of the three were at the same school. Um, So um, there there was differences there which were quite interesting. But we used the term structural support to refer to support sourced within the teacher's social ecology beyond the intrapersonal um, and support that might help them in creating change generally, but in relation to Take Action in particular. So in this case, we identified a range of potential sources um, of structural support. They included, firstly, professional learning. Um, In this case, with a focus on critical inquiry, research methods, um, student-centered approaches, engaging community. Those I guess, the key ones. Um, As you said, there's a lot there and very overwhelming. Um, And we were trying to build on their existing capacity to use critical inquiry approaches. Um, But as I hinted earlier, uh, none of the three teachers had, had been exposed to any opportunities to engage with this kind of approach before um so in terms of professional learning we did some of this in the planning stages but because um approaches such as critical inquiry a are, 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 are key thread in our initial teacher education course here at monash i think we really overestimated the opportunities that the participants had had to develop knowledge and skills in this in this sense um so that was that was a, a downfall on on our part. Um, another form of structural support came from um, us as researchers beyond the professional learning. So um, as I suggested earlier, um, I like to think we were a, a constant source of support. They knew we were there if they needed us. Email, phone, happy to visit. Um, we did some team teaching early on, and we fielded questions weekly. Um, but as I said, we we tried to keep that support. Front loaded, uh, with sustainability as the 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 main aim. But um, with hindsight, that was probably problematic. Um, another a source of uh, structural support which was and wasn't there, depending on which teacher you talked to, was um, school leadership, uh, including principal and assistant principals, um, and they can show that support in a variety of ways. And um, just from being interested. So some of the principals they. They just weren't, once they got the money, the funding, they just weren't interested. Um, but um, for Josh, he felt that that's what happened, that when the money was received, the support from the principal and the school leadership waned, um, which was quite disappointing. Um, support can also come from colleagues. Um, so as I said, Josh and Jess were at the same school. They'd been to uni together, and they acted as a nice support network for each other. And... Um, Unfortunately, Simone was, um, I guess, relatively isolated in the school she was working at, which is why we tried extra hard with her. Um, uh, community stakeholders they are um, sometimes hard to engage, but they we found that they can be an important source of support. Um, talking of Simone, it was her in particular that felt that this community support was invaluable, um, and I don't necessarily think for support in and of itself, but she felt that. Once the community stakeholders became engaged, um, the program got a whole lot more real uh, and meaningful, I think both for her and the students. Um, So those are some examples of where structural support can be sourced. um, But as the paper suggests for our teachers, they rarely felt supported across those layers. Um, And Simone, for example, was very keen to move away from Uh, traditional didactic approaches to teaching um health and phys ed but she there was a number of things going on for her she hadn't had a chance to experience um with alternative more student centered approaches whilst at uni or since Um, she was in survival mode as i said earlier in those early years of teaching and i I did have time to engage in any form of uh, professional learning that would help in this instance Um, the Take Action Project carved out some time for her to make this difference that she really wanted to um, enact, but it it just wasn't enough. The the space and time that was created just wasn't enough for her, um, and due to a lack of confidence, she uh, quite quickly reverted to the teacher centered approaches. And understandably, it was her safe space, her comfort zone. And in that, in those turbulent early years, it was it was um, you know understandable. Right.
0: Um, so. so- a big project for a beginning teacher for sure. And, and Simone, um, what does uh, structural support look like for students? What were some resources that they needed?
1: Yeah, well, it's not surprising that, um, uh, the teacher is the main source uh, of structural support for students. Um, Jess really showed us that so Jess was the powerhouse and, and she showed us what could be achieved when the students were supported by a teacher who was confident, in our ability and the ability of the learners. That was really important to use critical inquiry approaches. So uh, I'm going to speak directly as Simone now, um, so I don't miss anything, but she said to me, um, the teacher is there as a bit of a facilitator and the students are doing the research. The students are making the plans, doing the survey, collecting the data, identifying areas for change, suggesting change. So they are being empowered, and I think that the project does allow them to be empowered because it's them doing the project, not the teacher telling them what they should be doing and telling them the answers. So for all the things that didn't work in our unsuccess story, um, what was really great was that Take Action engaged most of the students in um, Simone's class. Oh, that was Jess, that was Simone, sorry. Um, and... More importantly, it encouraged those who would usually bring a sick note or forget their kit or chat at the back. And uh, another quote from Jess, she said, all the students that were in Take Action were really engaged. I thought that maybe some of the girls weren't into movement at all or sport. I thought that they would probably struggle a little bit to get involved, but they really found something they were interested in and passionate about. And all the students managed to get into a group that they wanted to make a difference for. I'm judging it on student engagement and the students were engaged. So we've done um, many, many iterations of Take Action in different schools over over the past 8 to 10 years, and uh, we consistently talk to high school teachers who underestimate their students' ability to do this kind of stuff, to do critical inquiry. Um, But we've done this with 8-year-olds, and it's possible if those layers of structural support are present.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's interesting to see that You know that underestimation you know and it's it's sad to see but it's also if if you don't challenge them appropriately you see with some of these teachers they were really excited the students were really excited when they found something that was really really meaningful um to them but again obviously this takes a lot of time and so taking on a project like this time is a big issue um can you explain a bit about how that played out?
1: Sure. Um, as you said, Risto, time was a huge factor, um, and it played out in two main ways. So, um, firstly, in terms of the need, the time needed just to create this unit of work, enact it, and reflect on it. Um, and as we know, this this takes time in any unit of work, never mind for something that's drawing upon um, new concepts and ideas that you haven't grappled with before. And then the second way that um, time played out as an important um, factor was in relation to challenging the teachers' entrenched philosophies on the nature of health and physical education. So, um, as I've hinted um, over the past little while, um, you know, we 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 come as teachers with our with our backpack on. We have our biographies and our histories and our predispositions. And we have a particular view of what HP should look like. And when someone tries to disturb that or challenge that, if it's gonna have any sustained effect at all, it's gonna take time. So that was um that was a big one. And in Josh's case, for example, whilst there was time to challenge his philosophies, and you could kind of see him, you know, looking up to the sky and nodding and at least playing along, um, even after enacting take action, he still had so much difficulty rationalising a health and physical education where students were not achieving immediate physical activity outcomes. So that gap between the unit of work or critical inquiry and his philosophies on health and physical education, um, indicative in part by this compounding of health and physical and sport, it was just so yawning. The gap was so big that it couldn't be breached in such a short time, if if ever.
0: Right, and so you're finding support the work of Luke Woods and Weir and Don Penny um, to confirm that curriculum and policy are volatile, and they're rarely mobilized as the creators or the writers intended. And I mean, this is a serious issue. So you also found that the fluidity of curriculum mobilization persisted, irrespective of whether the teachers. Uh, are involved in its development. So what should be done differently?
1: Yeah, so as you suggest, we are very much standing on the shoulders of giants with this paper. We drew upon a lot of brilliant work that really helped us um, articulate um, our our position. Um, In response to your question, the complexity, the fluidity, the messiness that accompanies a shift towards different ways of thinking and doing HPE means that Um, these are unlikely to be fruitful unless we um, have a number of processes occurring simultaneously. So some of the things we could do, uh, you asked me what should be done differently. So some of the things we could do differently is one, um, acknowledge the importance and durability of teachers' philosophies. You know, they're historically rooted, they're entrenched, and they're really hard to to shift. Um, And in in a process such as this, where we're introducing alternative approaches. We, We need to acknowledge the, the as I said, the importance and durability of these philosophies. So, um, secondly, we need to fully understand the school, co- co- school culture. Uh, and this is something uh, Stephen Ball and Meg McGuire, as well as others, will um, attest. Uh, this allows you to identify and tap into the different sources of structural support. Um, and this takes a lot of time. Um, linked to that. And the third suggestion is... Remember that support comes in many forms, depending on the teacher, depending on the school, depending on the kids. And before you start this process of um, policy enactment or change, um, it's really important to identify those sources first uh, and ensure that they're going to play out as you hope. Um, Another suggestion is to, um, and this links to our unsuccess story, view the challenges as opportunities to learn, reflect and move forward. Um, I guess as academics we are in a very luxurious position and that we do have that time to learn, reflect and think of new ways of doing things and, and teachers don't always have that luxury, um, but that's something we would suggest. And then um, another suggestion I would say is um, allowing for teachers to develop mental ownership over project or change. So. In, um, for example, when, when the Australian curriculum was in its drafting stages, there was a lot of consultation across all levels of the health and physical education profession to try and get our input into um, into what should be in it.
0: Um, but
1: that's probably enough of a list for now, do you think?
0: Yeah. Uh, so you relate the um, policy positions suggested by uh, Ball et al 20, uh, 2011 in the paper. Can you discuss how these played out with Josh, uh, Simone and Jess?
1: Yes. um, Before I do, I'll just give a brief intro to the policy literature I drew upon. So um, a range of scholars, uh, I've already mentioned Stephen Ball and Meg McGuire, have done a lot of work on on teachers as policy actors. um, And their work reinforces that teachers are not a homogenous group. uh, And therefore, there's a whole range of positions through which they can engage with policy. Um, so in uh, Ball and Colleague's 2011 paper, um, which I found really useful, um, they presented a typology which listed eight positions um, that teachers may or may not adopt when enacting policy. And it might be that you're more than one position at a time. Um, so the um, the roles include narrator. Um, narrators would interpret policy um, and perhaps help, help it make sense for others. So a principal might do this job. Um, An entrepreneur would advocate for it, think creatively how to use it, integrate into their day-to-day work. Um, Outsiders, um, they are usually, uh, in my experience, organisations in health and physical education usually spot governing bodies who take on the policy and recreate it in a way that schools um, might use. Uh, Transactors, they um, might, for example, only use a curriculum as a way to report on learning, but not really engage with the rest of it. You know, they do what they've got to do as a transaction. Um, Enthusiasts, they're like really invested, creative. They see it as a a key part of their career. Um, Translators, they, um, similar to narrators, they but they produce text artifacts events in response to the policy or in response to the curriculum Um, as you'd expect there are always critics um, and they kind of maintain counter discourses push against um, the policy or the curriculum being displayed and 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 mobilized Um, and then the final position is a receiver Um, and these are usually mainly uh, early career teachers who kind of do what they've got to do, they cope, and they use it um, in any way they have to, but there's no real engagement beyond that. So in terms of the teachers we worked with, we used this typology to help us make sense of the inaction of take action. Um, And we viewed um, take action as an extension of policy. So that's why we were drawing upon this literature. So we'll start with Josh. He was um, predominantly a receiver, in Ball's language, um, and that's to say, the policy work he carried out was mainly about coping, defending his traditions, and depending on the support available to him. Um, that would that was um, I, you know, when we were there helping him, supporting him, he was flying like an eagle, and then when we stepped back, his his um, excitement and enthusiasm also waned. Um, as I suggested earlier, he, Josh's philosophies on the nature and purpose of HP were so deeply entrenched that it was a struggle for him to visualise uh, and justify any alternative. And the hesitance that he demonstrated towards Take Action, um, it appeared to be underpinned by this need to maintain a hallmark of tradition that uh, we know characterised as HP um, around you know, competitive team games and sport. And in the observations, we saw, um, we could visibly see this tension between take action and Josh's philosophies. And it played out in a few different ways. As I said, he was always apologizing to the students who wanted to play sport. um, And it seemed to, in doing that, he seemed to diminish the value of take action, at least through the student size. Um, Simone, she was largely a receiver. Um, She was the early career teacher um but with strong and intermittent and elements of enthusiasm she was, she was excited but she she um and she was enthused by it and she viewed it as generally successful but it was really challenging for her again totally expected um and she acknowledged there was space for her to learn and understand around these key concepts such as critical inquiry and community partnerships And Jess, finally, um, yeah, she was the the powerhouse. She was an enthusiast and an entrepreneur. She was advocating. She was creating artifacts that aligned with Take Action. She was thinking up her own ideas, and and she really made it part of her day-to-day business. Um, And she could see how it fitted into her longer-term career plan, i.e., you know, this is a key element of the forthcoming um, Australian curriculum. This is going to be part of my day-to-day business. I'm going to embrace it um and for her i think take action it legitimized an alternative approach i think she'd been kind of wanting to try different things but didn't have the the space or didn't perhaps feel it was worth her time or um so what take action did it gave her this space and support to experiment with some of these ideas she'd been thinking of um and she was amazing um i guess just to to finish uh, my response to that question um Rosalind Black and and colleagues. Um, I think she's still at Uni Melbourne. Um, And as I alluded earlier, she she suggests that resisting the status quo um, in education could be a really isolating experience for teachers. And we definitely saw that uh, from Josh and Simone. Um, That's not to say that Jess was immune to this isolation, but I think her confidence and uh, her kind of self-appointed position as enthusiast and entrepreneur, it appeared to temper uh, that isolation, in ways that it didn't, re- it didn't seem to have an effect um, on her, um, which was really interesting.
0: Right. So, what are what are some of the main takeaways from this paper?
1: Um, well, the findings suggest that take action had the capacity to disturb sport-focused, teacher-centred status quo, I guess, within health and physical education. Um, And it's also one way of supporting teachers in responding to calls for critical inquiry approaches in in HPE. It carved out that space. Um, That said, um, interpreting and enacting Take Action, or any new curriculum, it, it challenged their teachers' perspectives on their role. It challenged their role in the learning process. It challenged their view of what HPE should and could be. And it challenged them to develop a broader pedagogical repertoire. Uh, Not necessarily in sustainable ways, but baby steps. (laughs) Um, And it's not all sunshine and lollipops. Um, The complexity that accompanies a shift towards alternative ways of understanding and doing HPE means that these calls that we talked about at the the start from academia and policymakers, they're they're not going to work. They're not going to be fruitful unless these challenges are addressed in systematic and individualised ways. So... What we can take from the paper is that whilst policy creates this context, um, it's the ideologies and the histories that permeate teachers' philosophies and also their school context um, that will ultimately dictate the policy process. So, as we concluded um, in the paper, um, this is really complex and often overwhelming, and um, it's not a problem to be solved, but it's a process that we need to learn in,
0: through, and about. Um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, for those of you who want to read the full article by Dr. Alfrey, uh, you can find it in uh, Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy. It was published in 2017 and we'll link to the uh, article in the notes. Uh, so where can people find you on Twitter, social media, other places?
1: Um, Twitter is at Laura Alfrey um, and yeah Google Laura Alfrey Monash and uh, any papers that uh, are linked to this will will be listed there
0: Alright Thank you so much, Uh, that's all we have for you on this one and uh, thank you for listening
1: Thank you